right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? We okay? Okay, all right, all right. They, uh, they tell me it's deer season, so that's why I'm here. We love you, Brian. Love you so much, brother. Hey, so uh, if you have your Bible, go with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, you should know where that is by now because we have been in it for several weeks. It's been a cool, cool series. I've had a lot of people come up to me or even some of the other staff and say, I had no idea uh, that that was a book of the Bible at all. So it's good. It's good. There's a lot of things in the Bible, you know, and we love to dig deep into them. So this week we're going to tackle chapter 3. This journey with Habakkuk, if you've been with us the past several weeks, has really been a journey to faith. And he's been teaching us a lot about faith and what that looks like. And I'm excited today because we've had a lot of questions up until this point. He's asked a lot of questions. He's, you know, why God? Are you sure God? I don't understand God. And today's kind of the culmination of that, where we see Habakkuk praying and in the form of a song now declaring who God is and his faith in him and putting faith into the mouth of the people of God, which is a good thing. And so today I'm excited to dive into that. It's going to be good. It may be straining for some of you. Uh, If you like to take notes and you have a pen and paper, or even if you don't have paper, but you have an arm, uh, you could write down worthy of faith. That's going to be the title today. You know, we've been talking about this. We called the series, even if, even if, and so the journey to this point has kind of been uh, for Habakkuk, even if I don't understand, even if I'm scared to death, Even if I don't know what's coming next, I will trust in you, Lord. That's the story. That is what faith looks like because faith doesn't have to include understanding. As hard as that is for us, that's the truth. But Habakkuk, the truth is, was pretty shaky throughout this book. And he shows that to us. He shows that he had a lot of questions. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you have a lot of questions as well, And maybe your relationship with God doesn't feel like you have a ton of faith most of the time. Why, God? Why? Are you sure? Why did you put them in my family? You know, maybe Thanksgiving's coming. Maybe you, you've asked that. You're going to ask that in a few weeks. I felt like I needed some comic relief there because y'all were looking at me like you're scared. <laughs> But seriously, why did you allow that to happen to me? Why did you take him away so soon? These are real questions. And we talked about it several weeks ago that it's not a problem to ask those questions. And God is bigger than those questions. But I'm excited today to see the culmination of Habakkuk's journey ending with faith. Ending faith with faith because God is worthy of faith. I want you to see that faith is not about understanding. Faith is about trust. And as Habakkuk was asking in order to understand, 
God was answering him by saying, look to me, trust in me, rest in me, focus on me. And maybe you're in here and you're hearing that and you're like, man, I was kind of hoping for something different because I've been around church and I've heard that a lot. It doesn't feel super practical. And God is saying, look to me. Continue to look to me. Because faith is not about understanding. It's more about trusting. And so that's the journey. And here's where we are. The primary theme of Habakkuk at at this point I see is Habakkuk moves from asking why to declaring who. And everything changed when he started to declare who. Have you ever played... uh, Trust fall, you know that game, the trust fall game? I need a couple of volunteers. I need a couple of volunteers. I need, Cor- I need Corbin, or Cornbread, I almost said, and I need somebody like, come on, AJ. <laughs> come on, as soon as, I- no, 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 stay down here, actually. Sorry, you got real excited about coming up to the thing. Hey, stand- I want Cornbread right there, and I want AJ kind of right there. Okay, you've seen this. Y'all know what trust fall is, right? So, but it's one at a time. Who should I trust more? It's a, mi- it's a mixed response, man. I love it. Let me say this. Stay up here for just for eight more seconds. Understanding why I'm falling doesn't help while I'm falling. But knowing who is there to catch me makes all the difference. That's trust. That's faith. Can we give it up for our two volunteers for coming up here and showing us? Understanding why isn't going to do you a lot of good when you're on the way down. But knowing who is there to catch you, that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. And God knows that. God is outside of what we can think about. And he sees all of time at once. And so what Habakkuk learned and what he's teaching us is it's really less about understanding why all the time and more about trusting in who is there fighting the battle and catching you when you fall. This is a victory song. Habakkuk chapter three, really the whole chapter today, we're going to focus on verse three through about 16, depending on if I run out of breath or not uh, by the time I get there. See, Habakkuk is getting a vision from God and he's declaring it to the people. That's what prophets do. And in this particular case, he's being pretty graphic and even historical with how he's painting that picture. And the theological word for that is called theophany. It just means the appearance of God. So Habakkuk is taking us on the journey and he's showing us who God is. Is. Why? Because understanding all of the answers is not the point. 
But understanding who God is changes everything. And so Habakkuk takes us on a journey starting in verse 3. It says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Does your Bible say a word that you can't pronounce there? Like that, Selah? Let me just really quick, man. So also, side note, you give me poetry like this and it, you know, like I really get excited because there's so many literary elements in this that really blow my mind. So I'm going to try to keep us down the middle today for your sake so that we're not here all day, I promise. But let me just tell you this one cool thing about this word Selah. So this is found in scripture over 70 times in the book of Psalms. And only three times in Habakkuk. Nowhere else in scripture is that word found. It's a pretty obscure word. They're not really sure what it means, but they do know that it was a musical instruction. So the word selah was used most of the time at the end of a phrase or at the end of a clause or sentence to create a pause in the music. It was always there to create a pause in the music, sometimes for contemplation, sometimes to take some time prayerfully to think about it, but other times it was used to build the music. And so they would selah, and then the trumpets would come up, and then people would start clapping, and they would take a musical interlude like we do sometimes to kind of get into it so that we can see what's coming is really good. You know what I'm saying? And so this is a beautiful element of scripture. So I'm picturing this as I'm reading it. God came from Timon, the holy one from Mount Paran. He's talking about when he came to Mount Sinai and the glory fell and Moses went to see him and he came back down with the tablets, which were the 10 commandments. Selah. You know what I'm saying? Now we're about to go in. Are you ready? Okay. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tent of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows." Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. And you went for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. And this is where I see this pause kind of getting a little more serious. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses 
the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. Yet, 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 everybody say yet, even if. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk takes us through a crazy good journey right there. So many historical events from Mount Sinai where the glory of God came down and the mountains trembled and the earth quaked because his glory was so much to the Israelites being freed from Egypt to the mighty army of Joshua being led by God to crush the Canaanites Habakkuk is taking us on a journey poetically but also historically in order that we may have faith in the God who fights for us regardless of our circumstance this is beautiful he's saying remember Remember, God is worthy of your faith. God is worthy of your faith. There's something really quick that I want to talk about because I want to enlarge our view of who God is, you know. Like, God is never surprised. You know that. Do you like surprises? Anybody like surprises? Do you, have you ever really been surprised? Yeah. We could share stories. My, my wife loves surprises, but usually it's practical joke form. And I don't like that. You know, I like surprises, but I don't like that. Like, if you're looking for some good practical jokes, go talk to Kaylin, you know. Like, aura gel on the toothbrush the night before. So that when you wake up and you brush your teeth and you can't see it because it's clear and your whole mouth is numb. Not a good surprise. Or when she paints your fingernails while you're sleeping and then hides the fingernail polish remover so that you can't take the red off and you've got to preach the next day, which obviously wasn't last night, but has happened. <laughs> Surprises. We can be surprised. God cannot. There is nothing that's ever happened to you that has surprised him. There is nothing that's currently happening to you right now that surprises him. There's nothing that's going to happen to you in the future that is going to surprise him. God doesn't get surprised. God sees all of time at once. God is bigger, so big in fact, that when he stands, the mountains tremble. We need a bigger view of God. And if you would allow me to just kind of be the mouthpiece for a second and don't shoot the messenger, you need a bigger view of God. You do. You need a bigger view of God. You want to know how I know that? Because you, I'm the mouthpiece, you can't stop talking about your situation. You need a bigger view of God because you are obsessed with your circumstance, with your situation. And that tells me all I need to know. It tells me all I need to know about my life. Because the longer I pay attention to my circumstance, the bigger it seems and the smaller 
God seems. And this whole thing, this whole thing called life, it's hard. There's a lot coming at you. There's people in this room that are going through chronic disease and pain and situations that I could never empathize with. That you just have to go through to understand. I don't understand it. But what I'm telling you today is it's faith is not about understanding. Faith is about trust. And we need a bigger view of who God is. And my marriage is hopeless. My marriage is hopeless. He won't stop complaining about everything. And we just fight all the time. And it's hopeless. Nothing can save it. I'm just going to have to leave. There's no way that we could reconcile what's going on. I've been in this job for 10 years and eight of those years have been miserable and there's no way that I'm ever going to be happy. There's no way that I'm ever going to have a good day ever again in my whole entire life. My car's too slow. My uh, diet's not working. I don't know. I'm trying to give some comic relief. These are big things. Some things aren't as big. Some things are big. It's easy to become obsessed with focusing on the situation rather than getting our eyes up on the Savior. It's just like Peter when he was walking on water. I love Matthew's account in chapter 14. If you want to read it, you can do that later because we don't have a ton of time. But I just want to tell you really quick kind of how that went. You've probably heard it. Jesus walking on water, calling Peter to walk on water. Before that, the storm was raging. Jesus had sent the boat out into the sea and the disciples were in the ship and the waves were crashing, the wind was blowing, they got a big storm happening, and Jesus sees them, and they're struggling with the oars, and they can't make it through, and they're trying to figure out how to make it. And so Jesus walks out on the, on the ocean, on the sea, not a very big ocean, but regardless, this is happening. He's walking out, and then they get afraid because they think it's a ghost. Fair. He says, no, it's me, it's Jesus, don't be afraid. And so then... Another natural response happens. Peter says, oh, yeah, well, if you're Jesus, tell me to come out there and let me walk on the water to prove it. You know, Jesus is like, fine. I, don't, I mean, I'm walking on water. You know, <laughs> sometimes I wonder what Jesus was thinking. Like you guys are not paying attention. And so come on, let's go. Command, he commanded him to walk on water. So Peter gets on the water and the waves are crashing and the wind's blowing and he's kind of walking and he's doing pretty well. He's probably feeling pretty good about himself. And then one wave probably hit him on the side and he looks down at it and he's like, oh, that's kind of big. Circumstance, pain, loss, uncertainty. And then he starts to get a little shaky, <laughs> shaky faith. And he starts to sink. Why did he sink? Because he's focused on the situation and not the Savior. But then he started to sink and he looked up and he said, Lord, save me. There are no magic words, but those are pretty good ones. Lord, save me. And Jesus said, yes, I will. Let me ask you this. If you think about that story, do you think the purpose of Jesus Doing that for Peter, commanding him to come walk on water. Do you think the purpose of that was to teach him how to walk on water? Because sometimes I wonder if we come to church and that's kind of our hope for it to be more of a transaction 
Like we could learn how to pray for healing here so that we could go back, take it back to our situation and pray for healing over that and then see the victory that way. That we would learn how to walk on water so that we could go and just kind of moonwalk or whatever you want to do on water, you know? Like, it, like as if that's what this is all about. The point of Peter walking on water was not to teach him how to be able to walk on water. It was to teach him how to keep his eyes on Jesus. And that's the same point in your journey. Most of us, if not 100% of us, will not walk on water more than a puddle on the ground. But you will have an opportunity to focus on the situation instead of the Savior. And what God is telling us to do and what Habakkuk is teaching is it's not about the situation, it's more about the Savior. So get your eyes off of that and get your eyes on to Him. It doesn't matter why all the time. You don't have to be consumed with answering all the questions. You just have to get your eyes up on Him and He will pull you out. Life, life is coming. Life is hard. And again, there's difficult situations. I want to be careful. I don't want to tread all over your life today as if it's nothing. Life is full of mountain peaks and valley pits, you know, peaks and pits. And a lot of times, the way I grew up, I kind of expected, hey, if I follow Jesus, that must mean that I'm going to have more peaks than I do pits. And for some of you business people, maybe you can relate to doing a cost-benefit analysis on following Jesus or not. As long as I get a little more return on my investment and have a few more peaks, maybe this will be worth it. So the good news is there are going to be more peaks for those that follow Jesus. But it may not be the peaks that you think because in the journey with God, the peaks aren't a place. The peaks are a posture. The peaks aren't a destination. Sometimes this is how we look at life. Like we got to get there. We got to get there. We got to get there. And if we could just stay there, God, if you could just let me stay in this comfort and this ease for a little bit longer, that'd be great. God's trying to give you a perpetual peak <laughs> because his peak is not a place. It's a posture, which means it's an attitude, which means it's about your focus on him, which means it's about worship. Worship is the peak. And I used to hate it when my mom said this. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to it. You may not be able to control what comes at you. But you can control how you respond because the peak is about your posture, which is worship. We see Habakkuk now arriving at a place. Yes, his faith, his faith is shaky and it has been shaky, but he's choosing a posture of praise. And now he's on a peak. See, God's got this all rigged, man. He's got it figured out ever since the garden when sin and death entered when shame entered, when guilt entered the picture, pain, suffering entered the picture. God says, you don't have to understand why. Remember, that's what Adam and Eve were seeking. 
You just have to understand who is down there ready to catch you because you will have pain. In this world, you will have trouble. But I'm prepared to give you peaks like you've never seen if you will just posture yourself to look to me and to trust in me. God's plan was not to teach Peter how to walk on water. God's plan was to teach Peter how to trust in him, just like it was for Habakkuk. I wrote a few things down that I want to read to you, and this may get a little rough. Just go with me. I'm just the mouthpiece here, okay? God is more interested in the strength of your faith than the security of your plans. God is more interested in the strength of your faith than the safety of your neighborhood. God is more interested in the strength of your faith than the future of your talents. He's not teaching you how to walk on water. He's teaching you how to trust in him. God is more interested in the strength of your faith than the ease of your pain. Because he's cultivating in you Something that supersedes circumstance, something that supersedes your situation, something that supersedes your pain or your safety, something that supersedes it all. Because when you have faith in him, when you look to him in the pit, your pit can become a peak. Just ask Paul and Silas. You know this story from Acts chapter 16. I wish I had time to read this. If you have time later, Acts 16, verses 16 through 40-ish, mostly the end of that, like 24 or 5 down, is a really awesome story. And what happened in that story was Paul and Silas were walking around and they ended up healing this slave girl who was demon-possessed. They cast the demon out of her, and when they did that, she was unable to perform what she had been performing for her slave owners, so she quit making money for them, and they didn't like that, naturally. And so they had Paul and Silas apprehended and arrested and eventually beaten to a pulp where they could barely walk and live and they took them to a dungeon, a prison cell, and shackled them. Even their feet were bound. And so they're in there. It's a pretty low point. I would call it a pit. Lower than anything I've experienced, at least. And they start to sing, the Bible says. They start to pray and sing hymns to God. And then the people, it says, from the other cells start to hear them. And the, the posture in the room starts to change. And then the shackles fall off and the doors open and they're free. Now, if we were to stop the story right there, some of you, including myself, would be jumping up and down and hoping, if not expecting, for that same story to be true of us. God, if we sing to you, don't you see I've been singing? Don't you see I've been praying? Don't you see I've been reading my Bible? And you did it for Paul and Silas. Why don't you do it for me? But if you keep reading the story, you see that they didn't leave after they were free. They stayed right there. And so the jailer comes back, scared to death for his life, 
Because he sees all of this, the doors are open, the people are free, and he turns on the lights, and then they come in, and, and, and he's, he's scared to death, and Paul and Silas say, don't worry, we're still here. What? <laughs> so then the jailer's response is, what must I do to be saved? Huh. Okay, God. Now we see. But you don't always get this retrospect point of view in the journey with God. Paul and Silas didn't fully know what was going to happen, but they stayed for a reason. And that reason was because they knew that God wasn't finished with them yet. That God wasn't finished with them there. And the reason they knew that was because their posture was towards God in praise and adoration. And they were so aligned with him in that moment that they understood that God was still moving. And so even the shackle, even though the shackles were gone, they were not because they still had an assignment there. And turns out the jailer comes and gets saved. And so does his whole family. Because that's how God works. Because he's calling you to trust in him even when you don't understand why. That doesn't make any sense. Shackles are gone, I'm out. God still had a work to do. He's not calling you to understand everything, but he is calling you to trust in him. Habakkuk is in the same boat and now he's declaring this song of praise. If you want more peaks in your life, worship in the pit. Circumstantial faith worships only on the peak, but faith in God worships everywhere, pits and all. Don't miss that. Circumstantial faith or shaky faith worships only on the peak, worships only when you're moonwalking across the waves, but faith in God worships everywhere. In fact, faith in God worships stronger in the pit. And that may be part of the plan too. When the subject of your faith is unfaithful, your faith will be circumstantial. But when you trust in the one who is trustworthy, nothing will be able to shake you. That's the lesson. And Habakkuk is saying, let me remind you. Look at verse 6, chapter 3, if you're still with me in Habakkuk. Verse 6, it's talking about God and it says, He stood and measured the earth. I want you to think about that just for one quick second. <laughs> he stood and measured the earth. Like, I got the whole world my head. I got the... Nobody's with me, okay. You think it's funny, at least. Side note, my breath was not enough to keep this earth blown, but God's is enough to sustain it. Side note, different message. Love that. Illustrations, keep preaching. This is, this is 
not even, this isn't even close to the comparison. Do you understand that? Like his breath breathed life into all that. Like I'm looking at Nigeria. You know? Are you serious? And so this is what I'm thinking about. And this is the God that we're, that Habakkuk is calling us to trust in. Can you hold the world? Yet you want to trust in yourself? That's what I want to ask Peter. And I get it, man. I, if I was in the same boat with Peter and I was trying to walk on the water, I would have looked down too. So I'm not trying to indict Peter as if he's horrible. But wouldn't you want to trust in the one that holds the world? Then the next, look at the next part of the verse. It says, he looked and shook the nations. He looked, have you ever looked at something and tried to make it shake? Like maybe your wife has that power over you, but I don't know. I mean, <laughs> let's be real. He looked and shook the nations. Look what else it says. Then the eternal mountains, that's from our perspective, eternal. They've been there forever. These massive mountains, the things of this world that are the biggest indestructible things we think are going to be there forever. Even they were scattered. Then he says, the everlasting hills sank low. Some other parts of the Bible say, use the word melt. Melts. Everlasting hills, eternal mountains, everything, all of the pride that this world can muster, everything, every kingdom sinks low when he looks at it, when he stands, because his were the everlasting ways. And guess what? They still are. His are the everlasting ways, the only true everlasting ways. When God stands, mountains melt, the earth shakes, the mightiest of kingdoms tremble, and even all of hell is terrified. But your view of yourself is so big that you see no problem with standing up to God. When we trust in our own ability instead of his, that's what's happening. Look at this quote from David Platt. I'm just the mouthpiece. David Platt. God beckons storm clouds and they come. He tells the wind to blow and the rain to fall and they obey immediately. He speaks to the mountains. Hey, you go there. And he says to the seas, you stop here and they do it. Everything in all creation responds in obedience to its creator until we get to you and me. We have the audacity to look God in the face and say, no. I think I'll try to hold the world today, God. I think I got it. If you can't give me an answer why, God, I'm just going to do it on my own. When even the oceans obey him. So we think about this. We think about this moment that Habakkuk is describing from history past. Now we see from our vantage point as a foreshadow of what's to come. 
Because 2,000 years ago, at Calvary, when Jesus was on the cross and God was pouring out his wrath on his son for the redemption of his people, you and me, big moment, the biggest moment. I can't overstate this moment. Jesus is hanging, being punished on your behalf. And God is there pouring out his wrath, just like being described here. Mountains shake. The earth is quaking. And Jesus in that final moment says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because Jesus doesn't, nobody takes his life. He lays it down. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in that moment, that was his last breath. And the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth is shaking. And people are literally coming up out of the graves and going into the city. That's weird. But this is happening in this moment. All of creation is attentive to God standing just like it was in Habakkuk 3. And in that moment, as the veil was torn, as the Savior of the world humbled himself, what does the Bible say? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In this moment, the humble king, dead. The curtain of the temple that divided the people from God ripped from top to bottom. The earth and the mountains around were shaking and trembling and melting down because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is no place for pride. There is no place for advantage. There is no place for privilege. There is no place for what the world is teaching you to attain at the foot of the cross. Everybody is on the same level ground because God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That was what was happening 2,000 years ago at Calvary. And in this moment of humility, the ground is being leveled and everybody, this invitation is for everybody, everything in all of creation to come and fix your gaze on the only one who is worthy of it. This is faith. This is saving faith. And everything that the world has taught you to hold up in high esteem can be laid down at the place where there is no room for advantage because Jesus came and died once and for all. And so this humble king, this unshakable king who lays his life down because nobody takes it from him is there waiting for your humility as well. So the opportunity today, the question on the table is are we going to continue to look at God as he stands and the mountains tremble and continue to say no? 
Or are we going to see him in all of his glory and all of his power and come to the foot of the cross where the ground is level and humble ourselves to the point of surrender and repentance to say, Lord, save me. Peter didn't ask for salvation when he was walking on the water. But when he started to sink, he was humbled quickly. And in that humility, he asked, Lord, save me. And he reached up. I wonder if you're in the same boat today. We're in this moment as you see all of creation bowing to him. You know, there's going to come a day. As, as I already mentioned, that every knee will bow. There will come a day, whether you like it or whether you don't like it, it's going to happen. For the Buddhist and the Christian that's been in church their whole life and has been playing church, there's going to come a day where every knee will bow. And by the grace and mercy of God, he has given each and every one of us an opportunity today to let today be that day. To lay down everything at his feet and to bow in reverence and awe at his glory and might and power and say, God, I need you to save me. I see the cross. I see the price that you paid on my behalf. And now I ask that you would lavish that grace onto me, pour out that blood that atones on me so that I can walk in newness of life. It's your choice today. It's a choice that's on the table. And I would hate it. I would hate it if we walked out of these doors hoping to be able to walk on water. Because there's going to come some water that is too rough for you to walk on, I promise. I don't care how good you are at it. And when that day comes, you're going to need a Savior. My prayer for each and every one of us today is that we would walk out of there with a different posture, not a different ability. A posture that is leaning in to all that God is. A posture that may not understand why we're falling, but does know who we're falling into. I don't know what it's like to be anxious every minute of the day. I don't know what it's like to be dealing with a cancer that is, that everybody is saying is terminal and taking this medicine that is making you so sick that you can't move forward. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to lose a parent. I don't know what it's like to lose a brother or a sister. So with all of the empathy and love that I can muster, I want to say to you as clear as I can today, no matter what your circumstance is, focus on the Savior because He is worthy of your faith. And he has a plan for your eternity that far outweighs this light and momentary affliction that you're going through today. The Bible says, 
I know that sometimes it may not seem light or momentary, but the truth of the word is the eternity with God far outweighs it. It doesn't come close. So the invitation today is to come to that place of surrender. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's going on in your heart right now, come and surrender to God in repentance and he will save you. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in this moment, if you need to come forward to this altar and lay yourself down before him and humble yourself before the one who stands and the mountains tremble, you're free to do that. In this moment, as we worship, if you wanna just stretch out your arms and praise to him, you're free to do that too. In this moment, as I begin to pray, I want everybody just to stand up to your feet. Stand up to your feet in this posture of surrender and humility. Will you pray with me, Father God in heaven? We are so unworthy of your presence today, but we know that you count us worthy because of Jesus. And God, I pray with boldness and confidence that we would all draw near to the most holy places this morning where you have everything that we need, where we can see that there is nothing that can separate us from your love, the love of God in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that your grace and your mercy would saturate the hearts of your children today, that the ones who don't know you would come to know you. They would just open up their arms and say, God, I need you to save me. I can't do it on my own. God, I don't pray for more ability today. I pray for more trust. I pray for more faith. I pray for more belief in the one who is worthy. Belief in the one who can make the mountains tremble just by looking at it. God, give us more faith today. As all of the earth praises you, we lift our voices as well because you are worthy of it, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. In Jesus' name. Please feel free to move in this moment if you need to move.